So, so it's, it's really interesting, Justin, because one of the the most important distinguishing characteristics of a of a great leader is humility, and humility is what you need to be able to learn from people who are below you. And it is surprising how much wisdom there is in people who are younger than you, in people who are less experienced than you, the kind of places we don't naturally look for wisdom. And particularly in, in, in our times where, where, where young people have such an enormous amount of advantage and, and knowledge and understanding of, of technology and where it's going, uh, that for the first time possibly in history, the younger generation has a better picture of the future than an older generation has. So the ability to learn from surprising places and surprising people requires humility. Welcome to another episode of Group Thinkers. Thanks for hanging out with us today. I'm your host on this journey into the nonprofit space, Justin McCord. Um, glad that you chose to spend some time with us today. On this episode of Group Thinkers, you're in for a treat. Uh, David Lappin is my guest. He is um, he's a fascinating individual, David Lappin. So he's an author, he's a speaker, he's a corporate advisor, he's a South African scholar and a rabbi. Uh, David leads Lappin International, which is a, a um, consultancy of thinkers in leadership and business transformation. So a lot of what we talk about on this episode is unpacked in David's book, Lead by Greatness. And if you're looking for your next uh, jaunt into something to read, would definitely highly recommend you pick up this book. It's available on Amazon and other, other places, but you can certainly get it Prime delivered to you through Amazon quickly. So in this book, Lead by Greatness, uh, David brings together the idea of corporate identity and character and the soul of a corporation or the people that make up a corporation. And it's a, a truly wonderful read. We had a, a marvelous chat um, few weeks back. And so I'm excited for you to get to hear some of those characteristics of leadership that maybe you haven't thought of previously. Uh, this episode of Group Thinkers is brought to you by Arcady Group. You're going to hear halfway through the episode, we'll take the little break so that you can digest and do a little bit of a palate cleanser of all the great stuff that David's sharing. It's brought to you by a study that's available at givingindecember.com. If you go to Giving in December, you're going to be able to download a white paper that tells you what the heck happened in December of 2018. This isn't just a digital thing. This is something that talks about uh, donor perceptions of what happened in December 2018. So head on over to givingindecember.com. You're going to hear about it more halfway through. Uh, also, don't forget to follow Group Thinkers on social media. Check us out on Instagram. Check us out on Twitter. We love having conversations with folks on Twitter about what's happening in the nonprofit marketing space. So uh, let's get straight to it. Here is David Lappin. Hey, Group Thinkers. Thanks so much for checking out this episode. I am delighted today to speak to uh, an international expert 
on many things, but certainly business strategy uh, and leadership strategy. Uh, David Lappin from Lappin International. David, how are you? Good. All, all good. Thank you, Justin. How are you? Uh, I'm doing so well. Uh, I appreciate you taking time to uh, to spend with us and with our audience to talk about a few things uh, that you are an authority on. And uh, leadership is certainly an area that we're going to spend some time covering today. And um, I know through conversations that you've had, we're going to talk about uh, listening and character and purpose and some uh, some big, uh, audacious and hairy topics that uh, that we might see leaders in the nonprofit space struggling with. But just at the outset, I always like to understand more about where a person has come from and their journey. So David, if, if you wouldn't mind, just start and, and share with our audience of listeners your journey and how you became connected into the nonprofit space. Uh, sure, Justin. So my uh, background was uh, I was really trained to be, to be a rabbi, I came from a, a family of rabbis, um, and then decided that the the place that I was going to affect change in the world was not so much in the in the synagogue and places of worship, but but really in business. That's where uh, people really um, are challenged by the real world. That's where the hard decisions have to be made. That's where ethics and values get tested. Um, and so I wanted to become more involved in, in that area. And after spending um, about 15 years in international commodity trading and other businesses, so as to, to become familiar with business and to travel around the world, uh, seeing business in different parts of the world and in different cultures, um, I started focusing on helping business to work for a higher purpose than making profits. Not that making profits aren't important you know, for profit business, uh, but that there's something more to, to it. And my belief that if businesses could look at, at a higher purpose and develop a high caliber of leadership that is value-centered, uh, the caliber and sustainability of their business would be much greater. Um, now, I didn't believe at that time, Justin, that, that people would pay me for that. So I started, <laughs> <laughs> so I started as a nonprofit um, and, and set up as, an, as a not-for-profit with an amazing board of directors. This was still in South Africa before, before we emigrated to the United States. Um, and, and as a nonprofit, I started researching uh, the impact of uh, culture and ethics on behavior in business and how that affected bottom line and saw some really interesting correlations. And still as a nonprofit, a company started asking me to help them do something about it and actually to, to implement work in progress. And then um, after, after a period of time, we realized we were sitting on something very valuable. And while we kept the nonprofit going for a while, we developed a for-profit business, uh, a consulting business. Um, so I've been a, a not-for-profit uh, myself. Right. And clearly the idea of, of, a, of, of ha having a higher purpose is something which every nonprofit has. Uh, in business, you've got the conflict. Are you about making money for shareholders or are you there to do something for the world? Um, but for an, a not-for-profit doesn't have that dichotomy. Clearly the reason for their existence is to do something for people, to do something for the world. So the idea of a higher purpose is not a challenge for a not-for-profit they have different challenges i love so much of what you just said and, and i was jotting things down furiously so that we could come back to different elements but certainly this idea of the impact of culture and ethics on the bottom line that is something that applies to not just the mission side of the nonprofit space but also within an organization and uh recently was uh 
handed a copy of of your book, Lead by Greatness. I've got it in my hands here and um, and have been going through it multiple times over just to understand this philosophy that you're talking about. And so one of the the questions that i've I've wrestled with in going through your book, this idea is that greatness is relative to each of us. So your greatness, David, and my greatness may not be the same thing, but there there are common characteristics that I think uh, they go over the differences in who we are, the space that we might be. So as someone who is now looked to to help change corporations or to influence corporations and leaders and nonprofits alike, what are the characteristics of an effective leader and what does greatness look like across a swath of, uh, you know, people in the nonprofit space? So that was an important question that I had to confront in preparing to write Lead by Greatness. Um, I didn't want to, to write it on a basis of my subjective views as to what, what a, a great leader is or what leadership greatness is. Um, so what I did in preparation for the book was interview about 50 um, privately held companies that had grown enormously. So they were from the, the Inc. 500 group, I think, of fastest growing private companies in the United States. We picked 50 of them um, so that their growth wasn't attributed to market trends. It was, it was really true, genuine growth. That's why we chose private companies. And speaking to the leaders of those companies to ask them to what they attribute their success and their growth, what struck me was that in every single case of every one of those interviews, they attributed to, it to character and not to education or competence or experience. Um, it was the character which they were raised as children. It was a value system that their grandparents taught them. It was, But it was always down to character. Um, so then I got to, to questioning and probing, so what elements of character are, are really the most crucial one? And that's where we got to the eight character traits of, of lead by greatness. Um, that, that for a, a leader to be successful, they've got to be able to inspire others. And we are only inspired by people who, in, in, in my opinion, have three qualities. They need to be authentic. We're not inspired by people who are fakes. They need to have a sense of purpose to be driven towards something. We're not inspired by people who are just making money. Um, and I'm not saying that making money isn't important, but as a means to an end, not as an end in itself. Right. And we're not inspired by people who don't have self-mastery. If people uh, lose their tempers and go crazy and, and, and they're, they're unpredictable, we're not inspired by them. So inspiration requires authenticity, purpose, and mastery. Those are the first three characteristics. In addition to inspiration, there needs to be a sense of uh, trust. Uh, you, you, you don't follow a leader that you don't trust. So there are lots of books that have been written on trust, but what I wanted to look at was what are the levers of trust? What do you need to do in order to inspire trust? And I found that there are three levers. The one is humility. We don't trust arrogant people. Mm. There's vulnerability. We don't trust people who are invulnerable and every, have every answer for every every situation. And we don't trust people who are mean, which means we need humility, vulnerability, and generosity. So that brings us to six characteristics, authenticity, purpose, mastery, humility, vulnerability, and generosity. And lastly, to follow somebody, you want to see that they have a, a measure of wisdom, not just competence, but real wisdom. And 
And wisdom uh, comes down, in, in, in my opinion, to a sense of awareness. You're aware of the world around you. You're aware of people around you. You know what your impact is on people. You know how different cultures experience the world. So there's, there's awareness and there's a sense of inner wisdom, which is the ability to align your intuition with empirical data. So those are the eight characteristics that, that I came to after researching that make greatness in leadership. And one of the things that you say in your book that I love is that senior management does not hold a monopoly on strategic thinking. Uh, Unpack what that looks like in uh, a conference room, in an organization, commercial, nonprofit. I don't think that it matters which side, but what does that look like in terms of uh, the strategic planning or how teams work together to accomplish whatever the goals of a marketing department is, for example? So, so it's, it's really interesting, Justin, because one of the the most important distinguishing characteristics of a of a great leader is humility, and humility is what you need to be able to learn from people who are below you. And it is surprising how much wisdom there is in people who are younger than you, in people who are less experienced than you, the kind of places we don't naturally look for wisdom. And particularly in, in, in our times where, where, where young people have such an enormous amount of advantage and, and knowledge and understanding of, of technology and where it's going, uh, that for the first time possibly in history, the younger generation has a better picture of the future than an older generation has. So the ability to learn from surprising places and surprising people requires humility. And they're, they're beautiful examples. Some of them I give in the book of, of a cleaner that was able to come up with a, a world-changing innovation um, and, and a secretary that came up with a marketing plan that, that, that changed a, a very large organization, a Fortune 500 company. Uh, so it, it's surprising where one would find that. One has to be willing to assume that every person has a gem of wisdom and to try and mine that, to try and find that. The person you're sitting next to on a flight or the person that you're uh, supervising or a team member, just if you start off with that assumption that everybody has an amazing resource of wisdom, different to your wisdom, wisdom from which you can learn, um, that humility enables you to to, 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 to elicit that wisdom out of the person because it doesn't just come. You've really got to elicit that wisdom out of them by asking the right questions, by showing them the right levels of respect and honor. So you might be running a meeting as the senior person in the meeting. The art is not how do you tell everybody what's on your mind. The real art, because that you can do in an email, the real art of the meeting is how do you elicit wisdom from each person around that table. This episode of Group Thinkers is brought to you by Holidays to the myth and reality behind giving in December 2018. Did you know that one in five donors reported giving less to nonprofits last December? I know that for organizations that we work with, things were great through November, even maybe the first week of December. And then compared to what we had traditionally seen in the last three weeks of December, things started to dry up. I'm sure I wasn't the only one who noticed a sudden drop in donations compared to what we are used to with December. So some questions started to pop up into the nonprofit marketing ether. Was it the tax laws? Was it the economy? Was it the government shutdown? Well, we decided to find answers from the donor's perspective. So RKD Group partnered with McQueen, Mackin & Associates to conduct 
a unique study speaking directly to donors to find out why giving dropped so drastically last December. You can download the full white paper at givingindecember.com. Find out exactly what donors had to say about their change in giving behavior and use that to build your strategies going into year end 2019. So head over to givingindecember.com, download the white paper. And now back to group thinkers. Uh, I'm just, I'm amazed by this. I'm endlessly fascinated in this idea and uh, how this model of leadership ultimately reflects a, uh, a paradigm that comes to us from religion. And that's if you want to be first, you need to make yourself last. The, this balance of looking inward to understand your purpose and your authenticity, looking outward to serve those that you are in the bunker with, whether or not those people are you know, peers, they are uh, above you in an organization or below you at an organization and having those things form who you are as a whole person so that you can unlock or tap better into your greatness. It's amazing how this idea just, it, it transcends not just from the basis of religion where we find it, but then also into the boardroom. Uh, absolutely. And if you take it even into the area of, of sales and marketing, um, uh, one of the big failures of salespeople and marketers is not hearing the person you're selling to. Uh, we're so busy talking that we don't listen. And to understand that the person you're selling to has wisdom. And if you can access that wisdom, they will enable the sale. Um, the reason that the sale is so hard is because you're not listening. Um, so that level of humility and understanding that wisdom comes from surprising places, it's necessary for the expert salesperson who, who might have enormous product knowledge and lots of experience in the industry is now talking to somebody far less experienced in that. But if you start off from the, from the vantage point of this person that I'm speaking to has wisdom that I lack, how do I elicit that wisdom from them? Uh, the sales conversation takes on a very different color. So uh, on the aspect of listening, it is... Is listening uh, the most common challenge that you face as you consult business leaders and nonprofits alike? Is the, is the art, the act, the practice of listening, is that the most significant challenge that we have in tapping into our greatness or being better marketers? Well, I, I, I think that the, the challenge about, of listening is a symptom of deeper challenges. Um, so... so I think there, there are three common challenges in, in leadership, and, and listening is an outcome of the three. Um, I think one of the, the challenges in leadership and one of the, um, uh, the things people find difficult to overcome is complacency. The more successful you are, the more you think you've got the answers. Mm -hmm. And we're living in a world where yesterday's answers are almost irrelevant tomorrow. So... Um, that complacency has no place anymore. There used to be a time where you could say, I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. And now the, the, it's more appropriate to say, I've been doing this for 30 years, so I actually don't know anymore what I'm doing <laughs> yeah. um, because, uh, because I'm so tied to the way I've done things and the world has changed. Um, the world is moving on. The world is changing, and, and we get out of date very quickly. I was in a hotel the other day. I won't, I, I won't say which. Um, 
And it was a nice place, a nice hotel. I'm looking around and thinking to myself, this place needs a refresh. And then I'm asking myself, what is it that makes me say that? It's not dirty. It's not broken. Why do I say it needs a refresh? And I came to the conclusion after reflecting for a little while, just because the world moved on and it hasn't. There's nothing wrong with it. It's as good as it was the day it opened. And when it opened, it was a very nice you know, attractive, desirable hotel, but they haven't moved on in in the last five or seven years since they opened. And in today's world, five or seven years is a very long time. So the world changes. If you haven't changed with the world, you're completely out of sync. So when we say I've been doing this for 30 years, well, that's probably a good reason why you're not the right person to continue doing it. Right. Um, so, so changing that mindset from from really resting on your laurels because of the past and and being able to see and live forward is 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 the hardest thing to be able to see and live forward. You know, I was once told, and I've used the phrase often, particularly as I've been getting older. Um, that old age is about when you start talking about the past more than the future. Hmm. Um, a youthful person talks about the future more than the past. An elderly person talks about the past more than the future. And so you can have people in their 80s or more who talk about the future and see the future and they're vibrant. You know, Warren Buffett is not an old man. He's a youthful, youthful person, hmm. always talking about the future. And you can find young people in their 20s or 30s who are talking about the past and they're old. So one of the leadership challenges to see and live forward uh, and the third one, that's complacency, seeing and living forward. And the third one, I think, is the dim a diminished understanding of the role of connection. Mm. Um, we think that people make decisions and, and they follow those who have, have the answers, who have the products, who uh, ha have the, the, the status. People are attracted by connection. People are thirsting for connection. Um, and whether you're in a sales role or you're in a leadership role, um, it doesn't matter in what, what the nature of your interaction with another human being. Connection is the piece that we have to get much better at. And listening is a function of connection. So who doesn't listen? A person doesn't listen when they're complacent. A person doesn't listen when they're, looking in the, they're living in the past and not trying to understand forward. And a person doesn't listen when they don't understand the power of connection. So listening would be an outcome of those three inadequacies. There's a lot of application uh, from that into nonprofit marketing and just to hinge for a moment on the role of connection. You know, much of the, the first season of group thinkers across different innovators that I had a chance to chat with, there was this theme of authenticity and relevance and trust around nonprofit marketing that uh, nonprofit marketers themselves are wrestling with how to build trust or how to be authentic. And we have this push pull of wanting to emulate what we see the commercial space doing while also having a foot in the mission. And, and I think that there are times where we miss the point of people thirsting for connection and that authenticity many times comes from um, pursuing that that connection and and listening uh, as you said has is an outcome of this pursuit for connection so there's definitely a, a a transference of that directly into the nonprofit space do, do you believe so these three common challenges you've you've had a chance to work uh, with some incredible organizations and create some breakthroughs uh, these challenges uh, are these across sectors, industries, are these the most common challenges? 
In my opinion, yes, Jason. Not just across sectors and industries, but uh, but in politics and political leadership, it's the same. Um, you know, the, the complacency slash arrogance um, and, and that ability to see and live forward. I guess politicians are generally a little bit more attuned to living forward because they're thinking about the next election. Sure. Um, but, but that's not really living forward. The next election is not living forward. The next election is really about the present. Living forward is looking at the next 10 years, the next 15 years. And the fact, for example, in the United States, we're suffering so badly about in, fa- failing infrastructure mm-hmm. is an example of how politicians don't live forward. Um, and, and, and aren't thinking forward. So it's across all sectors, all industries. Uh, those seem to me the biggest um, inhibitors of effective leadership. So what's the Kindle to spark a fire to tackle these? I mean, so if you, when you come into an organization and you identify that, you know, complacency or an inability to break away from the way we've always done things and looking in the past or this, uh, this role of connection what is your guidance or advice? How do you help turn the next to the right direction to see a path forward away from these challenges? So what we've got to do then in, the, in our interaction with, with, uh, with our client base is take them into a space where they think very differently. So we take them into a philosophic space. I always say to our clients, you know, the first day or two we'll be working together. We're not going to be talking about your business and we might not even talk about business altogether hmm. um, so that we can get into a much more philosophic space where we're starting to think about uh, the purpose of existence, your purpose, the, the purpose of your organization. So you can start thinking beyond your immediate tactical and operational requirements. Uh, once we've got their minds into this higher place, it's much easier to start looking at things very differently. Um, sometimes we have to um, give them some of the data that shows what happens when you don't do that. Um, sometimes we have to study their own business and show them where the risks currently are and why those risks are there. So sometimes you've, you you need to shock people into the reality of of you know, there might be a Titanic going towards an iceberg. Um, but the main thing is to be able to pull them out of the day-to-day so as to be able to think in a bigger way, in a more holistic way, firstly about the world as a whole, then about your society and community and customer base, and then about the business that, that, that you're leading, whether it's a nonprofit or a profit organization. Yeah, I love that. I know that many times conversations that we'll have with the nonprofits that we have the the pleasure of working closely with, it's it's about thinking beyond the tactical, right? And so you know, I love your perspective on thinking about purpose and stepping out of your job description, so to speak, or out of the functional aspects of your job and, and trying to think about your uh, your place and your purpose and your motivation and this philosophical thinking and how that can totally transform a strategic planning session into something that is much more purpose-driven. And in this case, the purpose isn't always about, you know, the outward mission of a nonprofit. It may be the purpose of the individuals around the table who are forming uh, a strategy. Something else that you said in, uh, in your book that I love is that, uh, generosity lies at the core of all business. Now, this is a podcast for nonprofit marketers. So we 
think about generosity in uh, what we're trying to obtain. We're trying to get people to give to our organization. So generosity for us may look uh, very different, but what does this mean? Whenever you say generosity lies at the core of all business, what does this mean and how does this play out in your perspective in the nonprofit space? Yeah, it's quite an epiphany for people in, in business when I, when I explain this, um, because business inherently is about giving shareholders more than they invested, giving creditors more than they lent you, giving employees more value than they're giving you, and giving customers more at least perceived value than they're paying for. So a business, you're, in a business, you're constantly thinking about the other. You're constantly thinking about how can I give more to all my stakeholders than they've given me? Because the moment I give them less than they're giving me, they pull out. Um, so, so business more than anything else act, actually involves you in, in making a difference, in serving um, various different stakeholders and, and, and serving their sometimes conflicting need and interests. So that's why I say that a for-profit business is, is all about generosity. Uh, a not-for-profit business is certainly doing something generous where people are giving of their time and resources um, to make a difference and to provide a service that they're not being paid for. So that, that is the, the ultimate of, of generosity, philanthropy as such. Uh, but I think that, that the challenge or the opportunity for a lot of nonprofits who raise money from uh, generous benefactors and donors is to be able to link that in with their core, the core of their lives and businesses. Uh, so if I can come to a, a potential donor and enable that donor to see that their relationship with my nonprofit is an expansion of the core of what they're already doing in their businesses, I think that's a very uh, big added attraction that creates alignment and opportunity for the donor. So then what are you, you know, I guess when I think about this idea of generosity, again, it's, it's about thinking beyond yourself. Uh, many marketers are performance motivated. So how do you balance being motivated by performance, being motivated by the win, uh, W-I-N, right. while also having this filter or seed of generosity in the way that you work in a team? So, I'll, I'll, you know, with my rabbi hat on as well, uh, it, it's a fallacy to think that if, you, if there's self-interest in generosity, that it's not generous. Hmm. Um, parents might have self-interest in raising their children well. That doesn't mean it's not a generous thing to do. Um, a professor or a teacher or a physician might get a lot of fulfillment and satisfaction, never mind earning a living, from teaching children and, and students and from, and from curing the ill. That doesn't mean it's not a generous thing to do. Um, and if you just look at the Bible, God promises reward for doing good things and the right things. It doesn't mean because it's rewarding, it's not generous. Uh, we've got to look at those things separately. In fact, the world is so wired, and you touched on it earlier, Justin, the world is so wired that you are rewarded for being generous all the time. Um, that's what you're rewarded for. That's what you get feedback for. Um, so the fact that we are creating incentives to reward people doesn't mean they can't be generous. Uh, what we've got to just see is that this proper alignment, that we're rewarding them for the right behaviors, that we are rewarding them for generosity and not for ripping people off. Um, that, that's where one has to be careful. But, it, but if that is so, if you're rewarding them uh, for, for generosity, then that's, that's great. You need alignment between those, those two things. You know, it's a little bit like uh, if, if you just take the healthcare 
craziness that we're in at the moment in this country. Mm -hmm. If we were really rewarding doctors for keeping us healthy, that would be great. Let the doctors make as much money as they possibly can. Um, there would be nothing wrong with that. But if we're rewarding doctors for doing procedures, then we have a misalignment. Hmm. You know, I, I love how this plays out in terms of generosity fueling a team and a culture of generosity. And one of the things that you share in the book is uh, just even the concept of um, rewarding someone verbally if you're going to give someone kudos for a job well done having that be about the person giving giving your adoration to the person and not the thing in which they did and it's just a small tweak but it's yes. a, a leap of a mindset for how we give to our teams and how that can definitely fuel a change in the way that we plan and the way that we touch different departments and collaborate where previously things may have been adversarial. And these are all challenges that nonprofits face uh, all the time. Totally. Well, David, it's, uh, the book is an amazing read, Lead by Greatness, uh, and, and I know that people can check that out, uh, pick that up on Amazon and in other places. Uh, just as we kind of wrap today, uh, how can people connect with you online? Um, so I, my Twitter feed is, is David Lappin. Um, I'm on LinkedIn also as, as David Lappin. Um, there's a Facebook page, page now, the, David Lappin. Um, and of course, the, uh, the website is lappininternational.com. Uh, Lead by Greatness is available on Amazon and other booksellers, but, but e easy to access on Amazon, both in Kindle form and, um, and in hard, hard copy. Well, David, thanks so much for, for taking the time and joining us here on Group Thinkers. Lovely speaking to you, Justin. Okay, so that's a uh, that's the episode with with David Lappin. That's the chat. Um, I'll tell you what I really love is this balance that David brings of leadership philosophy and um, ancient wisdom into strategic planning. Um, I really appreciate his ability to connect long time thought processes and principles into nonprofit leadership, into marketing, into general business. It's just a, a fascinating look at uh, a way that you can leverage character into building trust and trust into transforming your organization. Uh, you can check out more of David's work at Lappin International. Uh, there he speaks about his consulting work. Uh, his team is available. You can contact them through their website. You can also connect with him on LinkedIn, but um Man, David's a guy who I would I would say that you you definitely need to keep your eye on uh, and, and see whenever he has new content coming out. Someone that can help you continue to find purpose, build trust, and grow your team. So, uh, already mentioned it, but just one more time: be sure to 
connect with us on social at group thinkers on Twitter, head on over to the blog at arcadegroup.com slash blog. You can find stuff that I've written and stuff from other members of our team. And uh, yeah, that's, that's it for today. Thanks for hanging out with us and we'll see you down the road. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks goes out to the production team, including Ryan Mellinger, as well as our content marketing team, Suzanne, Holly, and Carly for their work on this and every episode of Group Thinkers.